Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives This baby's coming out on Friday, Black Friday um, I'm not even sure we can call it Black Friday anymore I feel like Black Friday started two months ago um, according to according to like the the promotions tab in my Gmail it started about two months ago I think in I think in three or four years I think Black Friday starts on the 4th of July but needless to say I will say this whether you're buying gifts for your family your friends or for yourself you should head over and check out Brio that's B-R-E-O Brio is at the forefront of recovery things. For me, the mini massage gun and the foot massager are absolutely ideal for anybody who is an athlete or who is on their feet all day long. I use the massage gun before runs and then later on at night. It holds its charge forever. I've charged it once. (laughs) I use it all the time. I've charged it one time. Um, Also, it's super small. It's easy to fit in your car or your bag or whatever. The foot massager is a godsend. It's the the item that every single person in my family either now owns or wants for the holidays. It's insane. It's, it really is. They, they are doing such great work. Head over to us.brio, that's B-R-E-O, dot com forward slash rambling runner today to save 20% on your order. That is a huge percentage, and you will not regret one cent that you spend at that site. Um, you know, Ultimately, if you're going to be using recovery tools or spending money on recovery tools, I should say, want to make sure you use them. And believe me, you will use these every day. That is for sure. So in this episode, we're talking to our very good friend, repeat, um, I'll say repeat listener. That's not true. Repeat guest over and over again, Stephanie Flippin. She is now not only Dr. Stephanie Flippin, she's also professional runner, Stephanie Flippin. What a transition over the last four years when she was part of the Road to the Trials crew. She was the one person who had not yet uh, you know, qualified for the trials. She was the, kind of the wild card. Like, can she get in? Everyone else was a seasoned professional. It was kind of like, can, can Stephanie qualify for the trials? And, you know, at that point, she was kind of like this plucky amateur runner who was super smart and really interesting. Now, she's one of the best ultra runners in the country. Those are not my words. She was nominated for that award by USATF. It is insanity. What this woman has been able to do is remarkable in every sense of the word. And I could not wait to talk to her, not only about the fact that she is now a Hoka-sponsored athlete, but she just dominated at Tunnel Hill. And we also did a little recap, like, hey, let's talk about this journey, man, because it is truly remarkable. So let's dive into it with Stephanie Flippin. All right, Stephanie Flippin is back by popular demand. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me, Matt. <laughs> Last time you were here, you had just won the U.S. What was it USATF hundred mile national champs out in Nevada. That was an awesome episode. People were so excited for you, and rightfully so. That was that was that was unbelievable. And here you are back again, man, continuing <laughs> to, to to log podium finishes. Yeah, it's been an awesome year. I feel so fortunate. 
Yeah, it's funny because for the people who have been listening to this podcast and you know also Road to the Trials, which was uh, an offshoot podcast that we did. Um, actually, during your season, it was called Road to the Olympic Trials. That was before I was like, all right, probably shouldn't put the word Olympic into this title. <laughs> it's absolutely trademarked. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I had to, kind of had to take a little, little detour on, uh, on, ep- on season two of that. But people have been following you through – our various shows for a while now, and it's been so fun watching. Fun, fun watching, so fun listening. Would you go back and think about some of the earlier conversations and where you were, um, just generally not even associated with this podcast, but earlier in your running journey, even like four or five years ago? What does it feel like for you, like thinking back to where and comparing it to where you are now? Yeah, you know, I I think you and I chatted about this um, during our last conversation, but it still definitely feels surreal. Um, you know, I feel like time has kind of flown by. Um, so when I stop to pause and look back, it's like, oh my gosh, like it feels like I was just back in residency, not really training competitively or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think I'm working, I'm definitely working on it, um, not feeling so surreal and maybe just living more in the present and accepting that this is the, uh, the reality right now. Um, and again, I just feel so fortunate to be basically living out this dream um, that I've had. <laughs> And when you won the you know, hundred mile champs, what has changed since then in terms of you know the, just what running not only has meant to you personally, but just your place in running and kind of the outreach that you've received from from different companies and just the the running public and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean that was an incredible race um, for me, and I think it kind of. Um, you know, I hate to speak about myself in this way, but it was a breakout performance. Um, and I, I think it definitely kind of put me on the map, um, per se. Um, so yeah, since our last conversation, um, I have uh, signed with Hoka, um, very, very fortunate for their support. Um, yeah. And I, I guess I'm just still pinching myself, um, to be able to say that I'm a professional runner at this point, uh, pursuing this, um, you know, alternate career path that I, you know, for a, a long time, I, I never really thought would ever be a possibility. So and let's let's go through that decision making process because that was a unique one. Obviously, most people who are running, they approach by a shoe company. Um, obviously, that's a that's a really exciting day. But you and your husband Mitchell founded your own medical practice. I mean, you had a lot of stuff going on already. It wasn't like, all right, I can finally I quit my nine to five. I'm a pro runner. Like this was a, a more layered uh, conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm also a running coach with LaFerm Perform, um, and I have been growing, um, you know, my athlete team that has become just such a huge passion of mine, um, in the past year and a half. Um, and yeah, I think it had kind of been in the back of my mind, um, especially after, um, the USATF uh, national championships, um, you know, this past, you know, well, going on two years now of us being in a pandemic, um, it's, it has been extremely stressful. I know we've chatted about this before, but, um, you know, I, I had been spending a lot of time on my feet, um, you know, and I had the performance, um, back at the end of April, um, at the championships. And I just kept thinking like, what could I really be doing though with my training? If I wasn't spending like hours upon hours on my feet, like at work. Um, and not only that, it's like, you know, running the practice, like I'm, you know, kind of the, the primary, um, you know, I'm doing all of our bookkeeping. I'm doing a lot of other things besides like quote doctoring. Um, so yeah, I, I just been kind of thinking about like, Hey, you know what, what could I really achieve if I had actual dedicated time to my training and a bit more of like a work-life balance? Um, so yeah. 
So maybe being on your feet all day was part of the training. Can we can we can we really eliminate this from the training protocols? Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it was very specific ultra um, training, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, um, it was kind of a no brainer um, decision for me. Um, you know, having an, an amazing conversation with a brand that I just so highly respect. Um, and truthfully, like in the past, you know, few months since signing with them, um, it is changed my life. I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating when I say that, um, just purely off of the opportunities. Um, I'm so psyched for 2022 and beyond as well. Well, and there was a really interesting conversation that I think David and Megan Roche had on a podcast two weeks ago. And like they, they had talked about like, right, what is a per running contract? And, you know, they, they work with a lot of you know, people who have pro running contracts, especially in the trail and ultra world and people who didn't listen to the episode, they were like, basically they were able to, to go into more specifics than you'd find in most places. And it wasn't like concrete stuff, but it was pretty, I think, for a lot of folks, surprising at like, hey, this isn't like this huge financial windfall. It's more of like, all right, like this is interesting. This is fun, but I'm going to have to sacrifice on some level if I make this choice. But the sacrifice I'm willing to make because this is so darn exciting and let's do it. What was it like for you weighing the pros and potential cons of making this a dedicated part of your life in a way that you hadn't in the past? Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, you know, definitely like a pro is that, um, you know, I feel very fortunate and that a, I'm self-employed, um, you know, Mitchell and I have had great success, like since opening our, our doors of our medical practice, we've been, you know, despite the pandemic, um, we've been able to see like enormous growth, like growth that I wasn't even realistically anticipating, um, in our kind of like three to five year business plan. Um, so that has been incredible. Um, and it kind of, it made the decision easy for me just because, um, I maybe am not someone that's relying on, um, you know, a shoe sponsorship or a brand sponsorship as, you know, a primary source of income. Um, so, so that aspect of it was kind of, a, was, was definitely a no brainer for me, um, because I just really wasn't considering, um, you know, income, um, you know, and that kind of monetary number as a factor to me, it was purely about, um, the opportunities to work with a brand, um, that I just, you know, so highly respect and align with, um, you know, and, and anyone in the trail and ultra running space, even road running space, um, you know, can, can probably see just how involved Hoka is, um, the different races that they're, you know, the primary sponsor for, um, you know, their most recent announcement of UTMB, um, Havelina, um, you know, Black Canyon, different races like that. I mean, I, the, the opportunities are just enormous, um, with Hoka, so. Right. And especially with the UTMB stuff. And we can talk about that a little bit. And I'm trying to get I'm trying to bone up on, on that world. Um, a lot of it's listening to Dylan Bowman and, and his podcast. And he does such a good job. And him and Corinne on, and Trail Society. Boy, do they do a great job as well with a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah. Well, in addition to that, as you mentioned before, you are a coach with Lift, Run, Perform. So was that part of the calculus as well? Or is that just something that was kind of off to the side and wasn't really affecting the decision? Yeah, you know what? Um, it, it definitely was a part of my decision. Again, it was kind of more of, um, you know, I, fortunately, the the way um, you know medicine is is that I can really practice medicine at any point um, in my life and my career. Um, realistically speaking, I'm not suggesting by any means that I'm gonna be working at age eighty um, treating patients, but. Um, you know, I, I kind of weighed those pros and cons there where it's like, okay, like in the big scheme of things, um, maybe I have three possible career paths right now that are on my plate. Um, one of them, I can definitely go to part-time because I'm in control of that being self-employed. 
Um, you know, and my husband, fortunately, has um, been very willing to kind of pick up um, additional work there. Um, you know, and that's definitely something that I can continue to do at a later point. Whereas, you know, I'm 32 years old. Um, while I'm a huge proponent of running, you know, as long as possible as we can, you know, there's a reality that I'm kind of in this window right now of um, kind of fitness. Um, and yeah, I, I just knew that I didn't really want to give up um, that opportunity. Um, yeah. And being a coach as well. Um, again, it's something that I'm fortunate to be able to do kind of remotely at home. Um, it's not quite as taxing as being like on my feet in the office, um, nor like being on my feet in the OR, which is a big, a big thing for me. So. And in, in text messages that we had exchanged a couple months ago when you were telling me like, hey, I think this is going to happen. This is really awesome. And I was like so excited for you in so many ways. You had kind of alluded to the fact that it wasn't like just about like, all right, I like their shoes. They like me. And that's going to be the totality of our relationship. Yeah, no. Um, for me, like I... I'm not someone that's just like wanting to just jump into a partnership. And I know Hoka isn't either. And I know many other brands are, are not the same way um, as well. But um, I have just always so highly respected like the inclusivity that they've had um, over the years. And I've always felt that it's truly genuine um, as well. Um, I know that's kind of a, a hot topic right now, um, you know, and um, with different brands and things like that. But um, I've always really appreciated the fact that they just so highly support ultra runners. Um, it's, it's kind of, it, I mean, I feel like it has exploded in the, in recent years and it's definitely becoming more popular, but you know, it really is still quite like a niche, um, sport. Um, you know, it's, it's not quite as, you know, not everyone can, can rattle off, you know, that, you know, the world records, you know, for the 24 hour races, a hundred mile, things like that. Whereas I feel like, um, the kind of the general running community is more familiar, you know, with Kipchoge and kind of, uh, you know, more of the road running and sub ultra distance space. Um, so I have always really appreciated um, how much Hoka really values and invests um, in their ultra runners. Um, you know, I consider myself to be an ultra runner. Um, I mean, I rub sub, sub ultra distances too, but um, at this point, um, you know, I definitely say that I'm a hundred mile specialist. Uh, so, yeah. That is awesome. Well, first of all, that I mean, it's it's interesting because like you obviously are. I mean, you are the reigning national champion in that in that distance. With that said, in the trail and ultra community, there's such a wide array of distances. Um, you know, so it just you know just because certain races are just like this is the course, we really don't care what the distance is. This is just like the natural outlay of the surrounding. Because you have other ones where you know we're going to do a fifty k, hundred k, you know, one hundred and five, or you could run Barkley, and it's like it's somewhere between thirty and sixty. You can find out when you get here. Yeah, you run Moab two forty, or you know, and I now it's called two forty, but. Previously, it was like marketed as just a 200 mile race. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, it's 245 miles. <laughs> this is quite a difference. <laughs> so when you think about races that, that you want to do and you know, it, it challenges that you uh, would love to accept, is it like do you have things already mapped out or is it kind of like there's so many choices here? It's kind of, you know, what to choose becomes tougher as someone who specializes in longer races. And all of a sudden, it's not like you can run like a 5K every weekend type scenario. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I actually just got really excited like you bringing this up. Um, you know what? Like I... I am so thrilled by all of the different options out there. Um, definitely right now, like, you know, if you've looked at what I raced in 2021, um, I'm definitely 
very excited about kind of like the speed aspect of the 100 mile distance. Um, you know, we have been so fortunate to see some very, very stout times, um, you know, and marks um, being made. But the exciting thing to me is that like, you know, honestly, I don't think that those, I mean, I love that the bar is set so high. Um, and I love the fact that like, I don't, I don't really see anything as like untouchable. And that's really exciting to me. Um, you know, and it's, it's also something to where, um, I can kind of put together some of the more recent speed, um, that I've built in the past few years. Um, that's definitely not to say that I'm not like looking at other kind of like, um, major trail races. I, I definitely have, um, you know, kind of a, a a thought out, um, kind of plan, um, and kind of like flow chart that I've been going through in my mind in terms of like how I want to attack, um, certain races that I've always wanted to race, um, and seeing how I can put all of those together. Um, so for example, like I'm, I'm probably not going to be like hopping into the hard rock lottery this year. Um, you know, that's an extremely technical, like mountain race. Of course, at some point I would love to race hard rock. Um, but that's kind of not um, what I'm focusing on at this moment. Right. Yeah. So it's, Again, you have you obviously have so many choices with your partnership with Hoka. Are there certain ways that either are there certain things that either they were would be I wouldn't say push, but like they'd be excited if you did certain races, and or do you look at like hey, they're sponsoring X Y Z race, maybe that could help me get into that race. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that is the that was the main reason why um you know I was so so excited to have a conversation with Hoka is because you know being a Hoka athlete and the same thing can go for any of the other brands um you know I, I think Ultra used to sponsor um, Western States um so you know that was like a partnership race for them and their athletes now at this point Hoka um is a sponsor of Western States um you know and Havelina, Black Canyon some of the other um you know Golden Ticket races that we've uh, mentioned but. Yeah, they definitely want um, their athletes to be involved in their sponsored races, um, which it, to me is just incredible. Um, and yeah, again, just a no brainer in terms of working with them because those are all the races that I have on my radar. So, so what's the allure of the speed end of 100 mile racing versus the more technical, you know, trail, like the, the hard rocks of the world. And I say this with full understanding of like, hey, you live in the mountains, right? It's not like you're like a flatlander or you live at sea level like I do. You're like, hey, this is just kind of where I can train. You can, you kind of have a wide array of training options. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? Like I, I think it really comes from, like I mentioned, like kind of building my marathon speed in recent years. I love the challenge of like that continuous run um, and seeing how fast I can complete the distance. I love the 100 mile distance. Um, I, I've really kind of come uh, like my relationship with it has really evolved over the years because I started in definitely like more technical um, and mountain. I think my my first 100 miler like started at like 8000 feet. Um, you know, I was coming from like Detroit, Michigan. So it was kind of rough. But um, but no, just over the years, um, it's really been intriguing to me to see like what I, what's like humanly possible, um, you know, with continuous running for a hundred miles straight. Um, and not just the running aspect too, but like all the different pieces that come together, um, you know, for the hundred mile distance, um, including like even just, um, you know, I'm thinking to my most recent race last weekend at Tunnel Hill, but um, including just like improving on skills that you wouldn't necessarily think would be a part of racing. Like, for example, my communication skills, like with Mitchell, you know, my husband is my primary crew. He like is always there. He's got everything. You know, we have everything on lock. We go over all the details. Um, but 
this past weekend at Tunnel Hill, it was like there were times where I could have communicated better with them, um, you know, or with anyone and not just my husband, but any type of crew. Um, and so those different types of details, um, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, and it's just, it draws such a close parallel to like everything else in life. Um, and I really, I just really enjoy putting all of those puzzle pieces together. Um, and I like the fact that for me, it's like, it's a continuous run. You know, I'm not stopping to walk. I'm bar- at this point, like I'm barely stopping at aid stations. Um, and it's just fun to me um, to see like how fast I can do it um, with kind of like removing those other variables, like super technical terrain, you know, gobs of, um, you know, elevation gain, things like that. So. Yeah. So we should say I was, I was going to get there and I'm so glad that you brought it up because you just kick butt at Tunnel Hill, right? I mean, you just, you, you got first. This is a race that you've, that you've won before, uh, which is exciting. And so you've also finished fourth overall. This is known to be a fast race, a fast course, but also with some, you know, some high level people who, who usually are in attendance, which is also very exciting. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. Now, when you're doing this sort of race, especially an ultra that you've done before, it kind of puts you in a unique position to make an, a potential apples to apples comparison, which is kind of less, you see less in the, tra- in, the, in the ultra community, just because you'll see a lot of people repeating lots of races. And even if they do, the weather can be different. So you don't necessarily can't, can't really make those apples to apples comparisons. What were your expectations coming into the race? And how much did you lean on your past experience to inform those kinds of expectations? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll first start off with initially Tunnel Hill 100 was not on my race, uh, my racing uh, schedule for twenty uh, for 2021 this year. Um, I did a pivot um, because I flew out to Sacramento um, early October um, for a 100K race. Um, and it just, the temperatures ended up like skyrocketing to like almost 100 degrees. Um, it was pretty rough. Um, I'd already raced in very similar conditions at the at the national championships earlier in the year. Um, you know, in the hundred K, you know, with a fast hundred K, it's a different, it's a much different effort level. Uh, I mean, like anyone can think like, oh yeah, it's, I mean, I would assume it would be being like 38 miles less, um, than a hundred miler, but, um, you know, I was going out at like 655 pace, um, you know, and that was my race plan, um, for the race, but with temperatures that just skyrocketed that high, um, you know, I quickly had to dial back on the effort level. Um, I was starting to not feel well, despite, um, you know, kind of using every tool, um, in my toolkit to manage that kind of heat, um, and running at that effort level. Um, but ultimately it just, I didn't feel like it was the day to push. Um, so I pulled the plug, um, at mile 35, super glad I did because I kind of knew in the back of my mind, um, that doing so would save the season, um, as opposed to me just running to complete the distance. Um, you know, things kind of shift, um, once you're in a partnership with a brand, as well as, you know, going for specific time qualification goals. Um, so after that, um, I decided, um, you know, I had a couple races that I was weighing between. Honestly, I went with Tunnel Hill because it had the best chance of not being hot. Um, and I wanted to be able to get in a, a race So you this didn't want to do Javelina and risk it <laughs> in the desert? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I told myself, I'm like, I just want one race this year <laughs> that's like not on the surface of the sun. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up going with Tunnel Hill. Um, but also good point that you brought up. Um, I, I also made that decision though, weather aside, um, because I did want to see how much I could improve, um, on my race there, uh, the year prior, which had been my, my, really my first return back to the hundred mile distance in multiple years, like almost three years. Um, so there's a lot of room for improvement. So when you're training for a hundred mile race, how 
how crystal clear does it become in terms of how much improvement you've had or what a potential race pace could be, uh, considering that it's not like you're you know going to be running you know you know these hundred mile efforts in training. So how much of it? Um, is um, decipherable and do you have certain workouts that kind of or certain weekend efforts that can kind of help um, help illuminate that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, um, the biggest thing, honestly, um, was my was strength work was lifting purely like I was not lifting enough um, last year um, when I headed into um, my first return to the 100 mile distance. Um, you know, the hundred mile distance is something that I feel like can really expose you. Um, if you kind of skimp out on any aspect of training, um, I feel like you can kind of get away with running, um, some of the sub ultra distances without taking, you know, giving so much attention to like strength work, lifting, mobility. But for me, like in the hundred mile distance, like it just strips me down. Like I, I get to mile 50 and if I've been neglecting certain things in my training, it's very evident. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something, um, that I, you know, have incorporated and been a lot more attentive to, um, in the past year is strength work and mobility. Additionally, I really grew my volume, um, like quite a bit. Um, so I did like a 10 week uh, training block, um, over the summer where, um, you know, I was at, I averaged like hundred to 105 miles per week. Um, and that was new for me. Um, I really wanted to be able to kind of callous my body, get it used to that, um, kind of volume. Um, again, I did have down weeks built in there. So for anyone listening who thinks that might sound like unhealthy or crazy or anything like that, I, I took all the, the necessary steps to stay healthy. Um, but yeah, like growing that volume, um, I definitely still maintain quite a bit of speed work. Um, you know, it's relative though. I'm not really touching like repetition or interval efforts. Um, you know, I, I incorporate quite a few strides, um, to hit those kinds of efforts, but, um, for me, it looks more like, um, 50 K and marathon effort, some threshold work. Um, but, um, you know, those kind of staple workouts, like, like four by two, you know, four to six by two miles, um, within like a very beefy long run, um, things like that. Um, and I kind of evaluated all of those different things heading into, um, my most recent race at Tunnel Hill this past weekend. So, so for Tunnel Hill, do you have do you chart your pace as you're going or up to a certain point in the race, or is it completely by feel? So, yeah, that's a good question. It's primarily by feel. However, I do have like speed limits, right? Like, I mean, I, I approach kind of each ultra in that way, um, particularly if it's flat and, and totally runnable. Um, so for me, I definitely had a speed limit, you know, and I chatted through this with my coach as well, but I had a speed limit of about like seven forties, um, you know, up kind of up until like my body was like, all right, like we're going a hundred miles. Like we have to adjust for effort. Um, you know, you're going to naturally slow down and hemorrhage time, um, eventually. But, um, but yeah, that was kind of the speed limit for me was seven forties. It was like, you know, and we talk about this in the marathon. Yeah. A difference of like five seconds per mile is significant. Like I think that even just averaging like seven thirty fives or, you know, seven thirties would have just, you know, kind of tuckered me out a little bit too soon. So I have no regrets about how I paced um, Tunnel Hill. So. And your Strava file is really interesting. So you have like, you're holding that pace and then there's kind of this like slow decreasing of the pace, right? Nothing, nothing extensive, right? It's, you know, three, you know, three to four seconds per mile for an extended, for, for a marathon's worth of miles, which is like so funny looking at ultra, ultra race uh, Strava files. Um, but then the last 10 miles, all of a sudden 
here comes the pace again. So tell me about that point. It, you know, how much of that was physical, mental, emotional, you know, fueling, just like, hey, we're near the end of the race. Like what, what, and, and you, you can bring in the lifting part, like you mentioned before, what, what happened there in that last 10% that really got you up to paces that you were hitting in the first 20 miles? Yeah. So I guess the first thing I'll address is like, I, I did kind of, um, I went through, like I alluded to, I went through a few like communication issues. Um, like I was losing some hand strength. Um, you know, I always run with a, um, a handheld bottle. I, I, for whatever reason I'd been switching hands, I kind of lost some hand strength and I actually couldn't get my headlamp to turn on. Um, Mitchell had placed it on me and I was just like, I was struggling to hold down the button long enough to get it to turn on. Um, so I was running through a section in like total darkness <laughs> without a light. Um, and God, I was just kicking myself. Um, so, you know, I, I made plenty of mistakes, like despite it being a great day, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of the effort. Um, you know, I always consider, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Well, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, I also don't agree with sometimes we win and sometimes we learn. I think we can learn from both. Um, so there's definitely a lot of learning uh, teaching points uh, for me Uh uh, this past weekend. But so I did slow down um, for a couple reasons. Um, another reason was, um, you know, after I think mile 76, um, it's definitely like a gradual uphill. Um, so I knew my pace was going to slow a bit on that. Um, but for the last 10 miles of that race, um, you know, I kind of had a secondary goal um, for the day of like, I wanted to be able to finish those last 10 miles strong. I wanted to be able to like send it. I did not want to be jogging it in. I didn't want to be like shuffling, um, you know, and kind of not being able to hit that final effort level um, to close hard. Um, so I went in with a secondary goal of goal uh, of doing so. And I basically told myself, like, if you aren't injured, if you're not basically puking off the side of the trail, like you will do that no matter what. Um, so for me, it's definitely more of a, um, a mental, a mental, um, perspective, um, for those last 10 miles. Well, you, it's one thing to come up with a plan. It's a whole different <laughs> thing to execute a plan. It's, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, I, I definitely acknowledge that. Um, and I acknowledge the fact that I was probably physically able to do that because of the way I had fueled all day. Um, and probably the way that I was con you know, fairly conservative, um, earlier on. So conservative, conservative, <laughs> yeah. you ran like 1406 or something for the hundred miles. Yeah. Um, 1404. Yeah. You, you kicked some serious, but like I say, yeah, it's, it's, we all, we all come up with plans. You executed a plan over, over a very long period of time. So kudos to you for doing that. Cause that, it really is remarkable. One, when we think back to was it now? Almost two years ago, we were doing Road to the Trials. Um, we had kind of like a, a post post Road to the Trials episode, like six months later, maybe even nine months later. And you just talked and you talked a little bit about how like just the process of that, of like having this one shining goal and putting everything on it, not everything that's being a little, little melodramatic. <laughs> well, you put yeah. a lot into it. You were really excited about it. And this is something you really wanted. And it had a very tangible, like, here is the time feeling to it. How that that was fairly burdensome to you in the end, even, even if it wasn't in the beginning. Now that you have signed with Hoka and you have these other big goals that are out there, what did you? What are you taking from that first experience of trying to OTQ that you can now help you in this new experience? Yeah, I think um, exactly kind of what you just mentioned. Um, I've definitely learned that like, you know, there's always going to be another race. There's always going to be another goal. Um, and to not put like so much like into just one um, kind of line in the sand. Um, I think what I've, what I've taken most um, out of that experience is that like, 
there are so many different running goals that you can have. Um, you know, it's not just, you know, I think in 2019, a lot of women, I mean, it was incredible to see so many women qualify for the trials. And I, I have so much admiration for all of us, you know, that gave it a shot. Um, but I think it was really good for me to kind of step back and be like, that was an awesome experience. But I also like, I also love the hundred mile distance. I also love the 50 mile. I also love the hundred K. Um, there's so many other like paths that you can go with running. Um, you know, and the same can be applied to, you know, your listeners that are thinking like, oh my gosh, like I, all I want to do is qualify for Boston. You know, I got to hit this standard or even, even like I got to break five hours in the marathon. I want to break four hours in the marathon. Those are all incredible goals and we can definitely like go after them, but it's not, there are other goals too, you know, and if it takes you a little bit longer to hit those goals, that's totally fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so that that's, I think that's the biggest thing I've taken since, um, the road to the trials. And it's obviously working for you. So let's talk about the things that you bring to the table for the 100-mile distance, because obviously it's working for you. So I'd love to hear your perspective on what you think on far like maybe genetic reasons or things in like from a genetic standpoint that maybe help you with this certain distance or help you with the training that allows you to run those distances. And what are some things, and obviously these can be circles that, you know, they don't have to be you know, completely siloed. These are, are interrelated ideas, things that you, you know, are doing to maximize whatever talents you have or don't have to, you know, do the best that you can at these distances. Yeah. Um, I guess like the biggest thing for me is my success with the hundred mile distance, I feel like has improved and come to fruition a lot based on how much I've matured, um, in the past few years. Um, you know, and I, that might sound very kind of like woo woo to listeners, but it, there really is a lot of value in that. Um, I have learned how to like kind of calm myself quiet, like those like kind of panicked thoughts when you're like, Oh my gosh, like I've, I'm only at the hundred K I have to run 40 more miles. Like I, how long I'm, I'm going to be out here for how long? Um, and I think kind of what goes hand in hand with that kind of like mental maturity is, you know, I've become really comfortable with myself, like, and who I am. Um, and I, again, that might just sound so far like overreaching here, but, um, you know, in a race like Tunnel Hill, you know, I was hoping this past year that I'd have more, um, men to work with. Um, the first year I ran it, um, there was maybe three men that were right around my same time goal that I had this year, if that makes sense. Um, the way it shook out is that, um, you know, my friend Zach and two other extremely fast guys ended up going um, sub 13 hours. And then I was the fourth place spot. Um, so I was really running in no man's land, um, you know, and I, I had set goals to not run with any pacers um, for this race, um, purely um, kind of for the strength building um, aspect of that. Um, so I was out there for hours upon hours by myself. Um, you know, and that's not something that I'm like complaining about by any means, but it also demands, um, a sort of being in a good relationship with yourself. Um, because, you know, I, I'm seeing my crew every, you know, five to seven miles extrapolate that out. That's a long time, um, to just be with myself. Um, and I, you have to kind of just develop this peace with yourself. Um, you have to know how to speak to yourself, um, 
you have to know kind of when to be a little bit more stern, when to, you know, be a little bit softer and encouraging, like you're doing this, you're doing great versus like we talked about, like I hit mile 90 and I'm like, it's time. Like you have to go now. Like there's, you you can't, like, there's no more like, all right, let's test out and see how this pace feels. Um, Again, I probably might sound like I have a bit of like personality disorder (laughs) um, bringing this up, but it's just one of those things where um, I've just come to learn so much about myself. Um, and that has factored so much, um, into my ability to be successful at the distance. Interesting. So that was, that was all mental, all mental and emotional. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, of course there are physical aspects to it too. I have really worked, um, to be intelligent, um, with my training, um, you know, growing the volume, but also staying, um, you know, very, um, being very attentive, like we said, um, with things like strength work, um, and mobility, um, as well as proper nutrition, um, just making sure I'm eating enough, uh, to fuel the goals um, that I'm setting for myself. That's, that's always a huge thing, especially for female athletes. And how often, or what kind of, what kind of elevation do you put in your training considering you've done a lot of, you know, more, you know, races that are more on the flat side? Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely live in a very hilly place. Um, and at this point in time, I just go with it. I work with what I have available to me. Um, you know, it, yeah, my paces are going to slow down. Um, but I don't really like in my training for something like tunnel Hill, because it is a fairly flat, um, hundred miler, there's some gain, but it's nothing crazy. Um, I don't set like elevation goals for myself by any means. Um, I really just kind of head out, um, straight from my door, you know, I'd say around like on a 10 to 12 mile run, I probably get 8,000 or 800 to 1,000 feet of gain. Um, you know, for flatlanders, that probably sounds crazy. But for here in Colorado, honestly, if I can get under 100 feet um, of gain per mile, that's pretty good. And it doesn't slow me down enormously. So I had a very similar conversation with John Levitt the other day where we're talking about like if he, when he's in Colorado, he has to go out of his way not to get 100 feet of elevation gain per mile. Where in Rhode Island, I have to go out of my way to hit 100 feet of elevation uh, per mile. Like if I feel like if I can get to like 60 to 75, I'm like this is a hilly run. Like this is like, you know, comparatively speaking, where for a few guys, it's like a completely other end of the spectrum. Yeah, no, I, I feel like there's there's a whole lot of value in just kind of going with the terrain that you have. I think in previous years when I was maybe more focused on like the road marathon, I would really get fixated on finding like a flatter route so I could hit paces. At this point, I just let the hills build strength like within my legs because um, I know how much stronger I'm going to feel on the flats. Um, so, All right. Let's talk about something that happened this week because this is really exciting. USATF Mountain Ultra Trail Council announced their Runners of the Year 2021 nominees. And lo and behold, Stephanie Flippin is on it. Let me just read the people before we talk about this. Randy Burnett, Rachel Johnson, and I'm going to, not even, I don't even know how to pronounce her last name. Thomas Sheck. Is that, is that close? I don't know. I think so. Um, I'm like, I'm right now, I'm like going back into my, like my basketball card days. Like, is there someone who had the same name that I can remember? Uh, <laughs> Allie McLaughlin, Kimber Maddox, Stephanie Flippin. Oh, no E in Stephanie though. We'll just, we'll, we'll <laughs> skip over that. Grayson Murphy, Elizabeth Northern, Camille Heron, uh, Courtney DeWalter, and Daniela Moreno. What was it like finding out that you were on this list? This is unbelievable. Yeah. It, you know, first off, I just want to say just just to be nominated amongst um, these other incredible Well, it might not uh, have been you, runners. though, because this name is spelled differently than you spell <laughs> your name. This could be right. a different Stephanie Flippin. 
<laughs> True. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, just, just to be nominated amongst all these other incredible women is such an honor. I, I'm really appreciative to USATF for the recognition. Um, you know, they've been nothing but incredibly supportive of me um, ever since the national championships. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's a huge honor. Um, and it's also really exciting for me because I really just feel like I'm just getting started. Um, this year was, um, you know, I, I had no idea how this year was going to go. I had kind of topical goals of, you know, running strong, feeling strong, running happy. Um, but I certainly didn't have like, um, very concrete, like, okay, I want to win this race. I want to win this race. I want to run this time, this time. Of course that kind of evolved over the past year. Um, but, um, again, I, I just feel so grateful, um, for the opportunities I've been given, um, and how the, the year shook out, um, to where, you know, USATF felt that, um, I deserved a nomination amongst, um, those other huge, huge and very talented names. So, Last time we spoke, actually the last couple of times we spoke, I know you've been self-coached for a while. You are not self-coached anymore. So what was the decision process, not only in terms of I want to have a coach and the person that you want to work with and the kind of coach that you were looking for? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I self-coached um, like uh, I think half of 2020 and almost all of this past year up until um, a few weeks ago. Um, that was really just from a timing perspective, you know, we had a lot going on with the practice. Um, you know, and for me, it was just like, okay, like, I don't want to be disrespectful to someone and constantly be moving runs around, um, with my chaotic schedule. Um, but I kind of hit a point where, um, I was starting to question myself. Um, you know, I was like, okay, like, it's just the decision-making process. And it's like, am I doing, you know, the kind of least amount to get the most benefit? And sometimes I was questioning if I was really making that correct decision each time. Um, you know, it, it can be when you're training for, um, you know, ultras, it can be, um, you know, enticing to do more and more and more. Um, and I was kind of starting to feel, I mean, I was healthy and had no injuries or anything, but I was kind of start to, starting to feel like I was towing that line um, pretty, uh, pretty closely. Um, so, yeah, um, I decided to reach out to uh, one of my friends um, and also Hoka teammates, um, Patrick Reagan, um, in order to help guide me. Um, he is a very um, well-respected, um, definite 100-mile specialist. Um, you know, he's been on so many um, Team USA teams um, in the 100K. Um, you know, he has ran, he, you know, he holds the Javelina course record, um, you know, incredible runs at like races like Brazos Bend 100. Um, and I, I raced with him actually at the USATF national championships. Um, he's just a stellar and very kind person. Um, and I knew his specialty fit perfectly with mine. Um, and I really appreciate, um, his, uh, insight, um, into the distance on the sport. And when you're weighing the options of who you would ask and things like that, you know, it's it's one thing to like know someone as like they're, they're you know they are a good competitor or they're a good person, right? Obviously, those are important things, especially the good person part of it, um, as opposed to like, hey, they are they're also really fast at this moment, right? Um, but beyond that, what what were some of the, like the due diligence that you would do? Again, you don't get super specific here, but the due diligence that you would do to make sure, okay, this is still like this isn't a trial and error period. Right. Or not error, but kind of a trial period. This is something there. I want to go into it with the idea of this is going to be a partnership for a while. So how do you set yourself up for for success in that that sort of decision? Yeah, um, I think specificity um, was a huge factor for me. Um, you know, I definitely wanted to be working with someone that had the experience of one, um, racing the hundred mile distance themselves and doing it multiple times um, Two, um, you know, 
the definite experience of guiding other um, experienced like ultra runners, um, which, you know, Patrick definitely has, um, but kind of in like more of like a general and broad sense, um, you know, I feel like I'm like a kind of a very specific type of um, athlete and runner. And I wanted to be sure that that like meshed well, um, you know, and that's kind of the same thing I do with my own athletes when I have conversations, um, you know, establishing like realistic expectations, um, you know, the types of um, communication that's kind of needed, um, just things like that, just to be sure that everyone's on the same page as an open line of communication about everything. Um, again, for me, the biggest thing for me personally was specificity. Um, you know, if you're looking to, you know, PR in the like 400 to 800 meter, um, distance, you know, I don't know a whole lot of, you know, amateur athletes that are shooting to have that goal, but if you were, you know, I certainly wouldn't be going to someone that's specializing, you know, in super technical, um, you know, hundred plus mile races. Um, so for me, that was huge. That's great. All right. So you've just done some awesome things. However, I know you're goal oriented. You got the, you got the internal flow chart working yeah. like you described earlier. <laughs> yeah. So what are some things that you're, you're weighing for next on the calendar? Yeah. Um, I'm definitely eyeing, um, you know, another go at a fast hundred mile course. Um, Tunnel Hill is a wonderful course. I absolutely enjoy it. But for me personally, it's probably not the like fastest for me, um, for, you know, for other factors that we we've mentioned previously, namely like running by myself. Um, that's always tough, um, to get the best out of yourself. Um, so yeah, I may be returning, um, to the, um, USATF national championships. Um, I do have, um, some other, maybe shorter distance goals, but still definitely in the ultra space, um, further into the spring. Um, and yeah, we'll see kind of how those shake out um, before I really pull the plug, um, on my fall racing schedule. All right. So you can't tell us. Well, I haven't, (laughs) I haven't quite decided, I haven't quite decided yet, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I definitely anticipate to be racing jackpot. Um, and and that'll be in February. So, well, um, oh, last thing before we get going, winter's about to hit. Yeah. So you live in Colorado. Obviously winters are a big deal. You like to run outside. You like to run on the trails. Obviously running on trails in the snow can be super fun. Also, can be a little like, where's my foot landing right now? Um, how do you approach winter running um, when you're running on the trails? And when do you, if ever, take it inside on the treadmill, whether it's for the major runs, the doubles or what have you? Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, here in Colorado, we've been really, really dry. I think this is like we've hit like record um, you know, longest we've gone without any snowfall. Um, so yeah, I, I usually draw the line when it's super icy. Um, fortunately that doesn't happen a whole lot here just cause we, you know, we're pretty much known for our sunshine even through the winters. Um, but yeah, it's, and I've noticed too, you know, I'm only 32, but as I've been getting older, like the colder it's become, you know, if it's like under 20 degrees, um, Sometimes I just prefer to either stay inside or I really, really have to bundle up because my legs just do not want to get warmed up. Like my hamstrings are like, no, like we don't like this uh, 15 degree temperature. But um, but yeah, safety over everything for me. Um, I enjoy running in the snow. I enjoy running out in the elements. Um, But if you know, if it's super icy or slick, I'll definitely take it inside to my treadmill. All right. Now, Hoga's not sponsoring this episode, but I do. I do love shoes. I have. I I love shoes so much. Anyone who listens to the show knows that. I've had shoe dedicated episodes on here. So, if your your favorite uh, trail shoe 
right now and your favorite road shoe. And if you're even testing them, I know you can't give specific details, but if, even if you're testing shoe that you know is going to come out later, um, we've seen some on out there on the on the interwebs. On the interwebs, yeah. On the interwebs that are coming out. Um, another one looks like a lot like the Mach 4. It's like the Supersonic that's coming out in March. Uh, so anyway, your favorite road shoe, your favorite trail shoe that you're currently running in. Yeah. Okay. So um, my current favorite trail shoe is probably the Zanel. Um, that's definitely more, um, it's their lightest weight um, trail shoe. Um, I'm small for your, for your listeners who maybe don't know me personally. I'm like five two. Um, so for me, it's a great lightweight shoe. Um, I also like those in the torrents. Um, those feel good for me. Um, they do have a little bit less um, protection though, if you're looking for like a max cushion shoe. Um, and then my favorite road shoe, um, I just, I actually just raced Tunnel Hill in the Carbon X2s. Um, I love that shoe. Um, it's, it's great, um, for, fast ultra, uh, racing. Um, and then I also love the Rencon. Um, I think huge bang for your buck. Um, it's a super lightweight shoe. I love the cushion in it. Um, and I, I find myself reaching for that shoe quite a bit, um, for my road runs. So have you tried the speed goat five? I know everyone's excited about what that could be because of the discontinuation of the Evo speed goat. I actually have not tried, uh, the speed goat five yet. Um, yeah, I think I'm supposed to be receiving it like fairly soon though, but I will report back. I know. I was going to say, cause I did see that you did post it. You did get a delivery from Hoka. I did. This yeah. week. So I'm like, maybe yeah. it's in there. Who yeah, knows? no, yeah. That was just apparel, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm also very excited about the speed goat five. Um, I loved the Evo speed goat. I wish they kept it, but, um, it'll be fun to see the changes that they've made. If it's more similar to the Evo. There you go. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on and good luck this winter and into uh, into the spring. Thank you so much. Stephanie, thank you so much again for coming on the show once again. Always a pleasure talking to Stephanie. One of the best people I know uh, in or out of running. Just uh, just a absolutely remarkable person. Also, big shout out to Brio. Go check out their recovery tools. It is just phenomenal stuff. US.brio.com. That's B-R-E-O forward slash rambling runner. Save 20% on your order today. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, I'll be at C-I-M. We're going to announce the live shows in a couple days. It's going to be so much fun. We got the McCurdy Train Shakeout Run on Saturday morning as well. We're also going to have a rambling runner meetup. I know a lot of people are going to be at CIM. I want to see all of you. That was the best part. 2018, going to CIM, as much as I love the live shows, and Lord knows I did, it was seeing everybody in town was just the absolute best. It was the hallmark of that experience for me, and I can't wait to do it again. So thank you so much for listening. Happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.